Welcome to the first episode of Business Reporter's new podcast series on the future of customer relationship management in partnership with IntraHive. Now today, the fundamental desire of all decision makers is that they want to be as insightful as possible. But even before the age of CRMs, the question has always been, where is that insight going to come from? I'm Georgie Frost, and in this six-part series, we'll be exploring the relationship between data and knowledge, the potentials and limitations of CRMs, and whether AI may be the key to spotting the patterns that could drive your business forward. Plus, we'll be asking, what is relationship capital, and why is it so important for companies to get it right? Joining me now is Jody Glidden, Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of IntraHive. Jody, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. We live Jody, in a data-driven world. But I want to know, has our desire for knowledge changed in business from, say, 10, even 30 years ago? Yeah, thank you. It definitely has. I mean, what we're seeing, you're hearing the term all the time about the knowledge economy. The knowledge economy just means that really it's not so much about how you do your job anymore. It's not manual labor. We're all tasked to work with our brains now. Every year that passes more and more jobs get automated and you're seeing more and more people have to use their their mind in order to work. The knowledge economy is starting to help us make decisions using insights and data um, because really business is becoming a science. So I think in the future, we're gonna see more and more things be automated and, and it's just gonna continue to follow this pattern. I'm wondering what you think has caused that change. Is it that the technology has provided us with this information or that we searched for that? I mean, what, why sort of 10 years ago do you think it was such a fundamental shift? Or was it? Is it just incrementally changing or exponentially changing? Yeah, two things, really. So, so first of all, technology has changed a ton. So mm-hmm. now we're seeing, you know, AI, we have highly inexpensive, really powerful computing. So you can actually run a lot of reports that you couldn't even run before. At IntraHive, for example, we can get into the, you can analyze the message bodies and calendar invites and everything for billions of messages for a company. That's just something that couldn't be done 10 years ago. You know, then you have AI that can do pattern recognition in ways that really couldn't be done before. It's just changing everything. I think all of the technology is kind of being driven by our desires. Everybody knows that if they, in order to compete, because to some degree, people are all competing with one another, you know? And so what we're finding is that in order to compete, you need to have the best tools, you need to have the best knowledge available. And I think the market that's creating these kinds of technologies is, is adapting in response to that. We see that people need certain new kinds of uh, pattern recognition. And so the technologies get invented and created to, to do that. So yeah, it's definitely adapting uh, as the years go on and getting more and more powerful. I want to plumb a little bit more of that data knowledge relationship. Maybe if you could outline some of the, the common challenges and misconceptions around it. Yeah, I think some of the things that people think about uh, when they think about data is I think they're afraid of what's going to happen if they if you can actually see the patterns in the data, you know, but that's always been the case. People were walking around trying to figure out how to make people as effective as possible since work really began. And the only difference now is that uh, we can actually help people become better. There's privacy controls built into everything that's created in response to market demand as well. And we have, you know, now new protections from places like Europe, European privacy law and California privacy law and Canadian privacy law where I'm from. It helps protect people. But what you do get, the benefit of all of these new technologies now 
is that you can have insights to help make people more effective. Because in the end, everybody really wants to do their job well. Often they just don't know how. They'll see the person working in the office next to them prior to <laughs> pandemic, I guess. You know, they would wonder why is this person able to sell so much more than me and they don't really know. Well, now you can actually look at the actual insights in the data and it'll find, pick out the specific things. Well, this is what's making these people much more effective than, than these other people. And then they can just incorporate those tips into their daily lives and make themselves more effective because that's really what people want to do. Do you mind what constitutes insightful decision making today? <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of people used to make their decisions based on hunches before. So you take like the number one salesperson and they would rise up through the ranks, they'd become a sales leader. And then, you know, they just sort of go based on their hunches and, and so on. But in the end, you don't really have to use hunches anymore because you can really look at the patterns of what's really working. A company even of our size, we're, you know, we're only uh, just under 300 people now, but even in our size, there's a lot of, you can look at a lot of wins, a lot of losses, and, and you can get those lessons learned. So you don't really have to guess and you don't have to use hunches about, you know, what kind of, what works, what's an effective way to work with clients and everything, because the data is there. The data is there, but it's like anything. How do you know what you're looking at? How do you work that out? Your data's that, only useful if you know what, what, what you have on your hands. Yeah, that's, that used to be the problem, really, because, you know, take, um, take some of the things that we find in the data. Sometimes we'll find that if, if we bring a certain person to a meeting by, you know, let's say a month into the, the sales process with a customer, this certain person seems to make a difference. So maybe it's a sales leader or it's maybe it's a sales engineer or, you know, some other person. But sometimes it's a person or their personality bringing that person to the meeting along the way helps the deal. Sometimes you'll find it's, it's something else. Sometimes it's like these types of people want to be checked in with, you know, at least every couple of days. Don't let the client become lonely. You know, you, you stay with them along the way. Um, but there's a lot of different things you'll find in the data, but people wouldn't find those things. You know, when you're trying to manage, you know, 100 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people, you're not going to spot those little patterns. But the great thing about AI is that you don't have to because it's, it's kind of doing that work for you. It can look at infinite amounts of data. It can find what's correlated to successes, correlated to wins or correlated to losses. And it can tell you, hey, here's what we noticed in the data. So that's the kind of cool part about the whole thing. If you think of like the, the Tesla self-driving car, you're like, well, what's keeping it on the road? Well, it turns out it's the steering wheel, you know, yeah. but, but you don't really have to tell the, the AI that it, it can tell, you know, every time I see the, the steering wheel turn to the, to the left, I notice that it, the car turns to the left as well. Which is good, which is exactly what you wanted to do. Well, we'll get much more into AI later on in the series. But if CRMs are data treasuries, where are they? What is the role of CRMs? Let's go there. And how can they be used? Yeah, CRM was something that really changed uh, the way that sales was done about 20 or 25 years ago. One of the first really popular ones was, was uh, by a company called Siebel and then uh, Salesforce kind of became the cloud-based uh, next generation of that and that they've been dominating the CRM space ever since. There are other CRM players out there that are still very, very large, but Salesforce is a really, really popular one. The CRM essentially is a place to, if you look back, say in the 80s, 
everybody had a Rolodex. Uh, and then eventually the next generation with a, a software called ACT, people wanted to share their Rolodexes. And then with the CRM, people were saying, well, actually, I'd like to track more than just who we know. We also want to track, you know, how we're doing, how we're interacting with our clients so that if somebody quits and somebody else has to come into the job, that we know how these clients were left. Where are they in the sales cycle, in the sales process? So it's a, it's a great repository of data. That's kind of what it is. It's, it's not really going to give you insights. It's going to give you a place with really great data. Um, but you know, the big problem that we found over this last 25 years, since people have been using CRM, is that a huge percentage of people actually don't use the CRM that that much. And um, and it turns out, you know, humans aren't that great at putting data into systems. And so that was the big shortcoming from it: is that you log in, you'd find some good stuff, and then you'd find a ton of stuff missing. Why do you think that's the case? If you have something that could be such a useful tool. Why are people not using it or not using it properly? Well, you have to look at their individual motives. So a salesperson, they would love to have insights, something that's going to make them sell more because they make commission, but they're not really looking to enter data into a system. <laughs> the problem is it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. If you don't put the data in the system, you can't get insights, right? That's the problem. And so what you'll see at some companies where they have administrative assistants, They'll like go to a meeting, they'll come back, they'll toss all the business cards on the desk and if somebody goes and enters them in instead, but it's, it's just not a great way to get at it. And so what we're moving to now in this next generation is trying to automate a bunch of that stuff instead. So, so CRMs can't find the patterns, uh, let alone tell us what to do next. Everything left to the human end user. What problems arise from this apart from, of course, it being um, rather time consuming, I imagine? Yeah, we used to say at a, there was a huge company that we spoke to, I guess I won't say who they were, but they said we have two kinds of people that are in our firm. We have people who enter all the data into the CRM, and that's a problem because they're wasting so much time entering data into the system. And then we have the other kind of people that don't enter data into the system, and that's a problem too. So either are a problem. The problem is if you don't have data in the system, you're never gonna learn from the mistakes of others. You're never gonna learn from the wins of others. So you need to get it in there and you also better not have your people doing it. <laughs> so it's a, that's a bit of an issue. The problem as well with legacy methods of harvesting knowledge from the CRM data trove, you know, to talk about that a bit more. When we talk about legacy methods as well, what do we actually mean by this? Yeah, I mean, the, the old way of doing things was just, they used to do this carrot and stick approach with with people so they would say we're not going to pay you your commission check unless you have at least you know 20 contacts per month entered into the system and so you'd have just people on on commission check day <laughs> you know, they would go in the system and they just enter 20 contacts and often you'd have people just enter fake contacts or you know anything really go into the phone book and enter a bunch of uh, bad data which makes it even worse there was the stick approach where they say you know, we're going to hold back your bonuses. Uh, they give people extra bonuses for entering data. That, that's the legacy of way of doing it. It was considered best practice mm. only maybe, you know, five to 10 years ago. And where are we now, do you think, in the kind of journey? I would estimate, I haven't seen any data on this, but I would estimate probably at least a, a very, very fast growing piece of companies, but probably 
five, 10% at least have now fully automated that process. So what, they've, what they're doing is the phone system itself can send signals to a system. The email system can send signals to the same system. The calendaring and things like Zoom uh, can send signals, you know, using a thing called an API. So basically is this employee uh, is communicating with this customer in this way at this date and time. If this machine is doing its job right and it's, it's kind of smart and is able to identify, okay, where does that person work at the moment? What's their job title? And what's the nature of the business that we know that we're trying to pursue with that company? Then you, you have everything that you need in order to put all of the data into the CRM that people used to do manually. And the good thing about that is that we've now, we're just crossing the threshold where accuracy has gotten to the point where we're way beyond the accuracy of people. You, you probably have heard back in when they said self-driving cars probably won't really take off until they're 10 times better than a person can drive because people are just really worried about even if the machine might be slightly better, they're worried about handing over control. You know, we've kind of reached that level now with, with CRM automation and that it's gotten so much better than people that I think people are starting to say, this is much better. We'll finally have really great insights. We're going to have really great data in our system. And we actually get our 20% of our selling date back that we can do something better with our time. I guarantee most things are 10 times better at driving than I am. Uh, but also I rather like driving as well. So there's, there's, a, there's a difference there. I want to talk a little bit more. I mean, you mentioned about privacy a little bit earlier and how we've kind of got round that. But when I was asking you about everything being left to the human end user, it, it does sort of make you a bit concerned because mistakes happen. And indeed mistakes happen with AI, of course, and, and automation, absolutely. Yeah. But have we really got that side of, of data right. I mean, we hear a lot at the moment about regulation and, and stamping down on these sorts of things. Is there a fear that down the line that you know regulation will come and alter the knowledge, the trajectory of the knowledge economy, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there, there was a big alteration with GDPR. Mm-hmm. There were a, a ton of uh, companies that were operating in, in that sector that were essentially put out of business because they were doing what they were doing in a, in a non-respectful way for privacy, sharing data between companies and, you know, all, all sorts of things, doing things without employees permission. That's essentially gone now. We're, we're well beyond that. We're two or three years into GDPR, at least at this point. And the, the ones that remain uh, had to, you know, adapt or die. We started a little bit differently because our first customer was PricewaterhouseCoopers one of the largest uh, tax and accounting firms in the world. So one of their primary requirements, they said, you know, right from the outset that if you can't respect all of these huge requirements around data residency, data privacy, uh, fine-tuned controls, ethical walls, there's a million different things that a company like that requires. It's kind of another level. It's like a bank really to some degree, then they would just never consider it. We in particular had came from BlackBerry. We were ex-BlackBerry people back in 2008, 2009, that, that kind of time frame. And so we learned a lot about how to, um, you know, how to access this kind of information in a way that's respectful to employees yeah. and that still allows you to get what you need. So that's, I think that's what really helped us a lot. But in general, 
having these fine tune controls, putting power in the hands of the users, allowing people to see what goes in and say no to anything that they want to say no to, but still get enough benefit that they want to say yes, you know, that there's something in it for people and that they're not just having something done to them. They're the ones pushing because they really see enough value that they want to have this happen. Yeah. You said that you think five to 10% of companies are fully automated. How long do you think it'll take to get to 100? I think we're starting to see a huge flywheel around this where the more people that move over to it, big brands, it's just starting to cause such an improvement in their business that all of their competitors start to take notice and want to do the same thing. You know, now you're starting to see CRM providers themselves that are looking to figure out how to put this uh, in for their customers. Some of, for example, Salesforce's top customers, the ones that are doing the best are using software like ours and they're taking notice and you can see it in the data. You can see that like number of contacts entered per person, number of activities entered per person, the insights that they can get out in comparison to the people who are not using this sort of automation and, and AI that it's, it's causing all of the CRM vendors to even go to the other top customers and say, hey, look, if you want to get better performance, you probably ought to make sure that all of your data is in the right place and make sure that you're actually getting the right insights out. I'd say within the next five years, you're going to see, there'll be a few holdouts. There always is. <laughs> you know, we're seeing that in, in every part of our life now with the pandemic, there's always the, the naysayers. But I think in general, you're going to probably get to close to 100% within five years. You mentioned the pandemic there, and it's almost remiss to have any conversation now without mentioning it. I'm sure it has some impact on this industry in your area. I'm wondering if that impact, one of them would be perhaps more people working from home and how using and accessing that data is going to be affected there. But how do you see the, the pandemic, if at all, impacting, you know, you talk about the next five years? Yeah, you know, it, it certainly did change everything. Um, first of all, for us personally, we used to generate almost all of our interest from customers at trade shows. So we, we were doing events two or three times a week in various cities around the world. And that just completely came ground to a halt all very, very suddenly. And we had to figure out what was the next chapter. And it turned out the new way of doing things was, was actually much more effective. So I think people are now going to see that the relationships you have are extremely important and that you shouldn't just be continually hunting the next, the next, the next, and letting the leaky bucket, you know, letting good relationships fall out at the bottom. You really need to focus at home first. And I think that's, that's one of the things we've learned. The other thing in the work from home environment, we now know that, you know, people get nervous of this. Like I'm going to send a hundred or a thousand people out to work from home. And I have no idea whether they're effective until they don't make their number. And then on top of that, I don't know how to coach them because I can't just walk up to them and kind of see how they're doing. And do they feel comfortable with the interactions that they're having with their customers, these insights on people and tips on how to coach your people and, and make them better. It's even more critical when people are in a work from home environment. But what we found is that in the, the technology sector, as you can probably see, there was a, in the second quarter of 2020, you saw a lot of people get really concerned and you know productivity go down. And then you know I just saw an announcement the other day that here in, in the US, we're gonna see expected GDP of between six and 7%. So there was a huge adoption of technology 
and GDP is just going through the roof now. So productivity in general, you know, GDP is essentially a measure of productivity is really amazing when people are doing it in the right way. And the great thing is we have a little bit more work-life balance now because we can be at home if we want to. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are still struggling with that work-life balance, even working from home. But um, before I let you go, I want to know about where you see the future of insight moving and the role that data will play. I think it's a pretty exciting next few years. We're, we're seeing just an incredible amount of technology being brought in. We're seeing people doing things uh, like applying AI to new areas. So I think the first thing that people started trying to do is apply it to leads. So they did a thing called lead prioritization where companies that have a lot of inbound demand could use AI to help their people determine which ones they should be working on at the moment. So kind of picking out the things that are more typical leads that you would win and uh, deprioritizing the things that you're, you're pretty sure is not a great fit. The second thing that we start getting into is things like around the opportunities that you're, you're actually working. So allowing people to focus on things like, you know, the ones that are highest probability to close when you're close to the end of the quarter. And then at the start of the quarter, you can focus a little bit more on the other ones and helping bring those along through the process and educate your customers along the way so that you can get them into the right stage. Now, in, in this next stage, I think we're starting to look at personal development here at IntroHive. We're starting to say, well, like, okay, now that we've helped people become better sellers, how do we help them look at all of the relationships that they have? You know, people are trying to improve their career, improve their position within their company, uh, look at their circle of influence within their company and, and the connectivity that they have to leaders in their company. These are all the kind of things that I think are really exciting for people because we want to try to provide value, not just to the company, but also to the individuals and help them develop throughout their career. Jody Glidden, CEO and co-founder of IntraHive. Thank you so much. Coming up in the next episode, we'll explore the role of AI and understanding relationship capital. If you enjoyed this podcast, do click subscribe wherever you found us. And if you want to find out more, Jody, how can people find out more about IntraHive? Yeah, if you want to find out more, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jody Glidden, J-O-D-Y-G-L-I-D-D-E-N. You can also go to our website at introhive.com, I-N-T-R-O-H-I-V-E. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. 